You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. you have a copy of God's Word with you or find one in a chair in front of you. If you've got His Word, or maybe it's on your phone at least or something, find Judges once again. We're in a new chapter. We are moving ahead ever slowly, but we're, he- we're moving in Judges. Somebody asked me how much longer. We'll just, we'll, are we there yet? Are we at the, no, we're not. We're, there's, it just gets a little worse from here, at least uh, Israel. But uh, anyway, you find Judges chapter 12. Find that. I want to show a picture from last week from Ainsley O'Byrne. I don't think they're with us this morning. So Ainsley drew this last week. We were in the last part of Judges uh, 11 and Jephthah and that tragic vow that he made with his daughter. And yet within that, there was, there was something that said uh, Jephthah went and conquered some 20 cities. Uh, let's see, he struck them from Arur to the neighborhood of Minioneth, 20 cities. Well, Ainsley drew a picture of Jephthah flying over 20 cities. I don't know if that's how he got there, probably, but, but uh, Ainsley drew this, and Jephthah was going over these cities, that victory of the Lord. So appreciate those drawings you kids have, and hopefully out of today you're, you're hearing other things to put down on paper and draw or take notes um, as you get older. So we are here at God's Word, chapter 12 of Judges, and just verses 1 through 7 today is where we're concentrating at. Let me read his word to us. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to, said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, Let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, Are you an Ephraimite? When he said, No. They said to him, Then say, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not pronounce it Right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. Let me pray once again. Lord, if we're to understand your word, if we're to glean from it and use it in our lives, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, then Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work during this time we have together. Lord, as there are distractions in all of our lives of different things going on, none of us come here with just a kind of a neutral life going on, but we come. And so we come right now just 
praying on behalf of all of us here that we come under your word. May we come to follow what you have said and what you point out in your word and what we glean from it. May we be those who hear you and we worship you and we praise you for our salvation and we trust you. And then may we be those who also who obey you and follow you for our hope is found in you, even in the following, even in the, the grace to do that. We thank you for it. May your spirit be gracious to us as we study your word at this point. We pray this in your name. Amen. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You're familiar with the term fugitive? A, f- a fugitive, a runaway from the law, like an, a, an escapee. I think of maybe the movie, The Fugitive, you know, running from the law, that sort of thing. When I was young, and I, and I can still somehow remember vaguely visiting my grandparents in Jackson, Michigan, and Jackson was home of one of the, I think it was or maybe is, one of the largest state correctional facilities in Jackson. And along the interstate, there were signs, you know, don't pick up hitchhikers. And it's not just, they don't, I don't think they put those in general areas. There's a reason that sign was near the correctional facility. Don't What's that mean? There might be some fugitives on the loose. And if you see them like this, don't, don't pick them up. It's a warning for the drivers. Fugitives may be on the loose. I'm going to propose today in our text that we not only have one, but we have two groups, large groups of fugitives, Ephraim and Gilead. Now, they're not running away from prison, but they're running away from the Lord. They're running away from the Lord Himself. Their their passions and their desires and their pride has led them astray from the way of the Lord. And may we too heed the warning here and not embrace a fugitive mindset to run away from what God has called us to. So let's look and see if we can see this in our text here. Jephthah, last week we looked at him think, sacrificing his daughter. Maybe you've thought on that some this week. Look that up more. Made an unwise choice to do that, and I, and I think an unnecessary vow. And now, now we've got kind of, that was one trial. Now Ephraim enters the scene. Look again at verse 1. The men of Ephraim were called to arms, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, you know, here's their question, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We're going to burn your house over you with fire. Location-wise, we're still somewhere near the Jordan. Caleb, you can put up one map. I just have one map for us. I think the same one from last week. Here's where at least the ESV Study Bible thinks Zaphon is in this area. So somewhere in here, here's the Jordan. We'll talk about the fords of Jordan in here, but that's kind of the general area where this is occurring and seems to be taking place where Ephraim crosses over. And once again, we find Ephraim, they've got a bone to pick with uh, certain people. You remember the encounter with Gideon, not too many chapters prior to this, chapter 8. And they encountered Gideon. Why did you not call? It's the same complaint. You didn't, why didn't you call us? That's, it's really interesting. Another complaint, same group. So what is it that's making Ephraim just so, why are they so mad about this? They're upset enough to burn Jephthah's house down. It, it seems like they wanted in on the action. 
But Jephthah never called them. Now, for us, I think we're tempted in our day maybe to look at that and go, well, that's a good thing, right? We don't, we're thankful. We're glad you went out and fought. Thanks for doing that. We didn't have to go. That was not their mindset. That, that, not for Ephraim. They were furious they didn't get to take part in this battle. They were m- really mad about it. So again, why, what, why are they so upset? And to help us, I want to think a little bit historically about Ephraim as a tribe, as a, as a people group. Quick historical look in Scripture. It tells us Ephraim was one of two sons born to Joseph. You've got all the tribes of Israel, Jacob. Joseph's tribes were in, his sons became two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh, the older, Ephraim, the younger. Remember Jacob, uh, Joseph's father. Remember he blessed Ephraim, the younger, against the wishes of Joseph, the father. So Ephraim receives this blessing. Jacob says to him uh, that his offspring would become a multitude of nations. This is Ephraim. Moses would call them, I I think along with Manasseh, he would call them a prince among his brothers. I mean, hey, I'm a prince. Do you see maybe what's building? I'm not sure. Keep looking. Ephraim's place, it seems like amongst Israel, it seemed to continue. Remember Joshua. Joshua is from Ephraim, that great leader. So here's what two commentators, here's what they say of Ephraim. From the beginning, the tribe of Ephraim occupied a position of prestige and significance. And then our friend Dale Davis says of Ephraim, maybe humorous, he says, some are not even content to sit at the right hand and the left in the kingdom, but insist on occupying the center throne. That description fits the tribe of Ephraim to a T. They are somebodies, and you don't treat somebodies like that. That's what he says. So there's prestige, there's significance, pride. I'd propose what we find here is the seed of the conflict, pride. You, Gilead, you acted without us. We, we're something, not you. Don't you know everything in Israel comes through us? You can see this maybe big-headedness of them. But had Jephthah left them out? Look back in the text. Jephthah replies in verses 2 through 3. <clears throat> and he said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites, and when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? And once again, we find, remember chapter 11, we find Jephthah playing the part of defense lawyer, just like he had with the the king of Ammon. Now, it's not towards a a foreign nation, it's towards his brothers, the Ephraimites. And his defense is, no, you're wrong. I, I called, you guys never showed up. You never came. And apparently, they didn't come. And when he saw they wouldn't come, he took matters into his own hand. And we don't hear in the text, the text doesn't tell us whether should Jephthah have waited another day or waited for Ephraim. We just don't know. But, but according to Jephthah, they just never came till now. Now they show up at the door. And so then it's Jephthah's turn to ask a why question. Ephraim said, why'd you cross over and fight? Now Jephthah has his own 
why question. Why are you coming to fight me? It's kind of like how he had approached the king of Ammon. Basically, are you any better than, than Balak? Why did you uh, deliver? Why not deliver within the 300 years you had? These sorts of things. Essentially, to the king of Ammon, why are you making war on me? I've not wronged you. And this time now, Jephthah, again, not to a foreigner, foreign nation, but to his own kindred, he's saying, why would you come fight me? And I would suggest here there are seeds, and we know the outcome because we read the whole thing, there's seeds of conflict growing. Ephraim's upset that they were not called. What about Jephthah, the Gileadites? What about them? I, this is speculation. I, just, I wonder if, if the winning of the battle gave Jephthah kind of a, well, don't mess with that. I mean, he kind of gave him a big head too. Like, Ephraim, don't talk down to us. We just won, we just won a whole battle. The Lord gave it, but we, we won a battle without you guys. And kind of this rising of self. And so in verse 4, that conflict erupts. That's what we see. Look at verse 4. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim, because they said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. Brothers have come to the point in the book of Judges that they're no longer fighting the nations that the Lord said, you know, fight, purge from among you. It's not those nations, now it's internal. We've turned towards one another. It's not going to be the last time that we see this as this book continues on. A civil war, you might call it. Gilead strikes down Ephraim. And the last part tells us why. It's because Ephraim had called them fugitives. They called them a name. I don't understand all, all of what the name meant. It's hard to be sure. One, one commentary sees this, you know, this Ephraim. You know, we might look like, okay, they called you fugitives. You know, like, is that, is that a big deal? That sort of thing. Well, one commentary says they see Gilead as maybe runaways from Ephraim. Kind of, they've ran away from this group. Uh, deserters, as one other place says. It says this, The implication is that Jephthah's followers, or at least some of them, were the descendants of Ephraimites and Manassites who had fled to Gilead as deserters or refugees. And so somehow Gilead had maybe left the people of Ephraim and Manasseh. They're kind of on their own. Maybe I, I think the word deserter is maybe helpful for us to try to understand it. Whatever it was, it was some sort of derogatory. It was, a, it was a term they didn't like. And it was enough to strike back. You call us fugitives, you got it coming if you're going to call us that. You heard the word fugitive. Now, we're going to go to verses 5 and 6. See if you can find that word again. This is fascinating as we kind of read what played out here. Five and six. I'll read the whole little portion here. And the Gileads captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, they said to him, then say Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. And they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. The ones who had called Gilead fugitives are what? 
fugitives. They became what they called the others. I, I think the author wants us, the writer here, wants us to see something. Ephraim's, their jealousy, their anger, their frustration, let's just lump it, their pride, it had backfired. And so now the ones you know, that called others fugitives, now they're being called, they're living really as fugitives, trying to get home. And so pride has come before their destruction. And here, we're at these, these fords of the Jordan. Kids, if you're drawing this, not a Ford truck. The fords. Fords. Crossover places. Places where you maybe cross a river. Maybe bridges come up to our mind. But a place where you're not going to get swept. You know, you can maybe walk across. And apparently, Gilead owned this place. It was They were in control. They called the shots. Whoever wants to come over, it's under the control of Gilead. And it was all based on how one pronounced the word shibboleth, which either means you know, a, a flood or it can mean an ear of grain. So that, that's what the name means, and it all dealt with how you pronounce one word. And so Gilead was able to figure out who it is that wants to come across. We do this too. We know how this, we know how this works. Uh, some in the northern lands have more of a northern accent, and you can just tell they're from up north. There's some others like y'all. They're just a little down, and you kind of know they're from down south. I pronounce the word, if the letters are B-A-G, I pronounce it bag. And many of you do, and I'm amongst friends. But some of you pronounce it, ba- I can't even do it well, but it's like bog or bag. It's something like that. And so there's these, these different pronunciations of this word bag. And if you say bag, I'm with you on that. You can cross the jaw, whatever. But there's other things. Um, take a look at this picture. What would you call this? So Somebody said soda or pop. Some people say Coke. Look at the next graph. This is a graph of just who says what in America. Some people say pop. So mostly around here. Although there's pockets, I guess, Milwaukee and St. Louis. This is your weird trivia for the day. I think they say soda in these places, or they say something else there. But anyway, it's pop, or it's Coke down south, or it's soda. You, you get an idea. It's not, we see the same thing here in Gilead and Ephraim. And it's, it's, it's comical to think about how one pronounces this, to pick out an Ephraim. And yet, at the same time, it's tragic. What do you see here? Brothers are at war. Did you see the number here? 42,000 Ephraimites that could not pronounce, pronounce a word right are slaughtered. Imagine that. I mean, just to get a picture of 42,000 just dead amongst the fords of the Jordan. Brothers, kindred, relatives. Because a certain tribe, maybe a tribe you had a grudge against, or they called you the wrong word, or there was pride. Barry Webb says this statement at this point. He says, this was no holy war. There was no appeal to the Lord to decide the issue. And there is no suggestion that the victory was God-given. In fact, the whole episode is presented with wry humor as a rather squalid I had to look up that word. A rather dirty, filthy, a rather squalid tribal feud which shows just how deeply divided Israel was. 
it was an ominous sign of things to come, especially in chapters 19 through 21. I'd like to think things will get better from here, and they don't. God had already spoken to His people. And here's where He spoke. It comes from Leviticus 19, 17-18. Here's what God had already made known to His people. Listen to this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bury grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19 is the first place. That's a familiar phrase, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Second command, you know, Jesus speaks of that. This is where it's first found in 19. And the context is first and foremost loving your brother or your sister. Listen to how Psalm 133 puts it. It praises the unity of brothers. It says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Brotherly unity is a good that flows down. And Jesus, too, would call for love amongst the brethren, the disciples. He says this, John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pride has come before destruction. Listen to the question of James 4, 1-2 as we think back on this incident, this scene, this tragedy in Israel. James 4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire, and you don't, you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Ephraim's desire was to be called. We want to be called to battle. We want to be in the lead. We want to be out front. Gilead, who had just won the battle, who's Ephraim to challenge us, perhaps? Who's Ephraim to call us fugitives? How dare you? And both people are running away. Fugitives escaping the honor and glory of the God who they are called to worship and obey. I did a rather quick study, really quick kind of run through on pride through the Scriptures, just trying to think, how is pride described? What, what descriptions are there for pride throughout Scriptures? Here's some of them. Maybe you could find more. Pride is deceptive, Obadiah 3 says. It leads to foolish disgrace. Psalm 10 says it's not part of seeking God, not pride. Pride, in um, Isaiah 23, pride seeks earthly honor, not God's honor. It's earthly honor. Jeremiah 13, pride leads to captivity for exile in Israel's case. Jesus says in Mark 7, pride comes where? It comes out of the heart. 1 John 2 says pride, it's not from God. It's from the world. 
This is not something from God. And lastly, in 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. As we look back here and we think of pride, pride kills unity. Pride kills worship. Well, it replaces it, doesn't it? Kills worship of God. Creates worship of me. Pride kills relationships. And 42,000 dead Ephraimites prove the effects of pride. And yet, there is great gospel hope. Hope for people who seek their own passions, our own flesh, our own desires. Somebody calls us a word or looks at us wrong and we're just we're ready to bristle because you have, you have come against my kingdom. Look at Ephesians 2, 1-10. I want you to go here. And there's... Just take a gander at this passage. There's other places... To go as Romans 12, if you're in the, in the two-year Bible plan, I think you're reading Romans 12 today. That has some great stuff to think through. But I want to just read through. It's a familiar passage. You're going to certainly be familiar with, with these things in here. But listen to them in, in terms of how does one who is caught in pride in the passions of the flesh, what can we do about this? What has God really done about this? So look at how Paul speaks about it in Ephesians 2, and I want to read all the way through 10 and just be thinking of this and look for what God is at work doing in His Gospel. It says, And you, these are believers, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And here's the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, because that's what prideful people need is mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has given the prideful, passionate, flesh sinner a new heart in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Once we walk this way, in Christ we're made alive, we're raised up, we're saved by His grace. And all we have, the reason we can stand and sing and worship today and claim Jesus, you did nothing for that. You did not earn that. It's His grace and it's a gift. And we have nothing to boast about. We, we have no pride. Only Lord 
Why? Why did you take a sinner and save them? Grace, gift. And so here we are. Here we are as a group, brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is one unique group that God has brought together. And if you're visiting with us today and you're from another church, that, that place where you're from is a unique group and who God has brought together. Some of you might call it pop. Some call it soda. We have unique roles, each of us. Unique roles outside of this gathered body. Some are, some are in the schools. Some are out in the fields. Some are working in a hospital. Some are at home. Some work in an office. Some here and some there. Some of you use the ESV translation. Some of you use the NASB. Some of you the King James. Some of you others. Some of you prefer older songs. Some we like newer. Some of you, I'm stuck in the 80s choruses. No, it's all good. We're just different. Some of you right now think it's still too cold in here. Some think it's hot. Some of you have outgoing personalities. Some of you not so much. We'd rather just not see, talk to a lot of people. Some are older. You get where I'm going? The more we get to know one another, we get to know each other's quirks. And we've all got them, all of us. And yet God has brought us beautifully together in this place. Do you believe that? This is the body of Christ here. So he's brought together. We're talking about the believers in Afghanistan today. They would love this chance to gather with fellow believers. And here we are, even with all our differences. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us learn from Judges 12 today, this chapter, to hear the warning for those where pride is running strong. And we've been hit by it. Don't be a fugitive of God. He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Beware, even amongst our gathering, beware of your own passions and Satan's schemes where seeds of pride grow in your heart and we turn against one another. I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't say He's brought us together. To quote part of Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we do that? By the grace of God, working in you, working in me, through His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful, mixed, quirky group you've brought together as Bethany Bible. To locally be a local outpost and lighthouse of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it is so tempting for brothers and sisters maybe to get called the wrong thing or to take offense or to want to be out in the lead 
There's a million ways that Satan can scheme and work in and among us, in our own, our own relatives, our own families, our own body of Christ here. Lord, would you protect us from relationship-killing pride? And Lord, would you reveal to hearts, Lord, where that's been the case, where we've, we see seeds of conflict. It may not be full-blown. We may not be at the fords of Jordan getting ready to slaughter, but may we have in our heart. Lord, show us those areas. Reveal them to each one here. That we would be a wonderful, worshiping body of Christ here. Lord, where there are differences, where there are things that are different, guide us to work through those with a love for one another. Not just to flatten out everything, but to honor you as, as we dwell here in this place, as we wait your coming again. Empower us to do this. We thank you that you have given us all we need in Christ. We dwell by his spirit and we praise you for this gift. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.